0: Hello and welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And today we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. Hopefully two weeks ago you enjoyed the episode of Breaking Pod and hopefully you have subscribed to that and listened to the most recent episodes. Josh and I have been having fun breaking down every episode of Breaking Bad. We're releasing another one this week, but we're back to Vernacular. So I'm here with Sally and today we're going to talk about something that we think is kind of important to talk about.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about the problem with advertising or we could call it how we learn to distrust social media.
0: Yeah, exactly. So if you're a listener of this show, you know probably two things about us. One, that we do have some social media presence. You can, for example, follow us on vernacular pod, on Twitter and Instagram. But you also know that Sally and I are pretty, pretty distrustful of social media and we I think it's fair to say we try to minimize our social media footprint as much as we can. So one example of that is we haven't actually updated the vernacular pod, Instagram, or Twitter in a long time. I think we got off of Instagram for Lent and neither of us have been back on since. So that is symptomatic to some degree of our distrust of social media. And we want to talk to you about why in this case.
1: Yeah. So to start off, we need to answer the question, is social media good or bad? Or is it neither?
0: Yeah, it's a good question, and I think maybe the first thing we should say at the outset of this conversation is that we're a not Luddites. We don't reject all newfangled technology just by virtue of the fact that it's new technology. <laughs> nor are clearly, we clearly because
1: we have a podcast,
0: <laughs> right? Nor are we totally anti-social media, and we don't think that if you, for example, are a hardcore Instagrammer or YouTuber or that Facebooker, a that you're a bad person. Not that at all. And uh, we're in the
1: business of talking about what it means to be truly human. Right. And in that business, a part of our job, we think, is to question our interaction with other people, question our interactions with technology and to ask, are we engaging with people in the best way, in the way that makes us most truly human? Are we engaging with technology in the way that makes us
0: most truly human? Right. Exactly. And so I think social media is a really important part of this conversation because it is a medium that constitutes if not the majority at least a plurality of human interactions today we interact with people on our phones I would argue more than we interact with people around us in physical space so I think it's an important conversation to have and that's what we want to do today so Sally just posed the question is social media good or bad or is it neither and you've probably heard this question posed to you before I think and we might
1: have even brought it up before we
0: we probably did. And I would say that in that question, is it good, bad, or neither, I think the most common answers are the first or third. Either people will say it's good because it connects the world, or they'll say it's neither because it's just a neutral medium. I think you'd be really hard-pressed to find somebody who would actually claim that social media is, on its face, intrinsically bad. But it's much more common to find someone who says, it's good because it connects people, and that's really good. Look at all the good things that have come from the internet and connectivity and social media. And yes, there are a few bad apples, uh, but they don't rotten the bunch, right? Or you'd have people who say, look, social media is not, it doesn't have a moral quality to it at all. What matters entirely is what we do with it and how we use it. And that would be in the the neither category. But I think the general approach to thinking about this question goes something like this. Social media is something that connects people, Therefore, it's either good, because connecting with other people is good, right? Or it is simply something that enables human activity. And so therefore, like I said, it doesn't have a moral quality. It just um, is. It just exists. And its own moral status is only reflective of human activity. So for example, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to talk about Facebook as being bad. It makes sense to talk about humans as being bad when they misuse Facebook, right? So I think that's the normal pattern of thinking about it. And you can think about, you know, uh, instances when humans use social media for good, right? Sharing a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe um, or a CaringBridge thing, you know, uh, raising money for someone's chemo treatment, right? That's an example, perhaps, of social media being good. And then human beings can use social media for bad. Think of the the New Zealand shooter live streaming his massacre, right? Um, that's that's when social media is bad. So that's, I think, the general framework for approaching this question. But I actually think that that framework is inadequate to evaluating the goodness or badness of social media, and I'm going to explain why in just a second. But the second framework, I think, needs to needs to look at social media this way. Instead of evaluating social media by the mechanisms by which they function, I think we need to look at the mechanisms by which these systems are sustained. And if we're going to do that, we need to talk about incentive structures.
1: Okay, incentive structures. Uh, I've confessed before I didn't take economics, so I don't know what con- incentive structures are. What? Uh, what does that relate to? How does that relate to social media?
0: Yeah, so I think this, the connection between incentive structures and social media is not immediately apparent. I think maybe more broadly, it makes sense to talk first about the, the connection between incentives and human action. So if you if you do talk to a behavioral uh, economist, they'll talk to you about how we can break down all of human action or at least almost all of human action into a question of incentives. What is it that drives a person to behave in a certain way, right? How do we, how do we um, get someone to work harder? Why does someone choose to work harder? Is it because they are pursuing the, uh, you know, the increase in salary that comes with working harder and they want to buy more things and acquire more wealth for themselves? Um, Why do, why does a person give money? Is it because they like the, the feeling of innate self-worth and the, the feeling of positive, uh, you know, the, the 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 good the good vibes that they get from being charitable. But behavioral economists break down human action into a question of incentives: what drives someone to do something? And I think that these are really at play in social media because, at its root, social media—think Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube—even these are at their root mechanisms that allow humans to interact outside of the boundedness of physical space. So we can enter a virtual world through our devices and connect with somebody else across the world or in our our, you know, the house next door. Um, but it's all the same. It doesn't experience the same boundedness, the same limitations that physical space does.
1: But are incentive structures necessarily bad?
0: No, definitely not. I mean, um, you know, we're we're big fans of the free market and free markets are free markets are successful and they're able to achieve what they do because of the power of incentives. If a free market exists, you can have the acquisition of private property, and you can have incentives that help people work harder and create better and innovate things, um, and by doing so, help other people. So incentive structures aren't necessarily bad, but I think we need to look at um, the in, into the mechanism of what the incentive that is being provided is. And incentives, for example, I mean... We went to Trader Joe's today, Sally, and what what was the incentive that we <laughs> we offered our girls?
1: The lollipop. Exactly,
0: yeah. So they find the stuffed, if, if you go to Trader Joe's, by the way, you need to know this, and you have kids, there's a stuffed animal in every Trader Joe's, and if your kids find it, they get a lollipop or stickers at the end, sometimes both.
1: But if ours aren't well-behaved during our Trader Joe's outing, then no lollipop.
0: Right. So incentives are powerful shapers, or can be, of human behavior, and they're not necessarily bad. But in the context of social media networks, I've come to believe that the incentive structure is totally perverse and it disservices you and me, the consumer of social media.
1: Okay, so let's talk about an example.
0: Yeah, well, I think YouTube is probably the easiest example because everyone has been on YouTube at least once, right? And I guess statistically speaking, not everyone, but 1.3 billion people around the world, that's the vast, vast majority of people in the developed world. We know what YouTube is. You've seen at least a number of videos, probably uh, thousands, if if you're being honest with yourself, if I'm being honest with myself. And YouTube is such a massive enterprise. They uh, accept 300 hours of upload every single minute. Wow. And as you can imagine... 300 hours of video uploaded every minute takes a ton of server and backend support to make it happen and to make it run smoothly and keep all that footage available at the click of, your, click of a button. Right, so this is not free for them to do, and yet, to the average consumer of YouTube, you don't pay anything. Now, there is the YouTube YouTube Red or YouTube Premium. I think they have they have less than a million subscribers. I think in the, in the last statistic I saw, so the their operating budget is not coming from the very small, comparatively small number of YouTube. Red subscribers or YouTube TV subscribers that they have, their money is coming from another source that we'll talk about in a minute. But just think about this: for for YouTube to be able to run everything it does, it costs six billion dollars a year. Wow, that's uh, you know as large as the GDP of several countries, right? So that's a lot of money—six billion dollars per year.
1: But then, how is it free for the subscribers?
0: Right, exactly. How is it free for the subscribers? Well, the simple answer is advertising. So Google has to pay about six billion dollars to run YouTube and the last number I saw from last year was that uh, YouTube generated about 13 billion dollars in revenue from Google and the vast vast majority of that revenue is from advertising. Wow. So basically without advertising YouTube is dead and YouTube does not run because it's in the red by almost six billion dollars per year. Okay so you're probably listening to this and thinking, okay, that's fine. Why is advertising bad? You know, I don't mind watching an ad for a few minutes be, before I watch a clip that I want to watch. It
1: doesn't make me less human.
0: Right. Okay, fine.
1: I'm not the one doing the advertising too. Right.
0: Yes. Okay, fine. Um, to a degree. But I think there are two things to think about, right? If Google slash YouTube makes, makes essentially all of its money through advertising, then what do they need to do? What is their interest vis-a-vis you, the consumer of their site, the user? They have two interests. One, increase the number of you that are on there. So increase the, the increase their user base, essentially, right? Expand to more of the world so that they can move beyond that 1.3 billion people and go to 1.5 billion and then 2 billion. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, has very publicly talked about how he wants to, to, to connect the entire world, Right. 7 billion people he wants to get online and uh, presumably onto Facebook. Um, and then also and then also,
1: entice me to spend more as time. much as time right. as possible exactly. on their sites.
0: Because the more contact time that Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, whatever, the more contact time that they can generate from the user, the more advertising revenue they can collect. So their incentive structure is set up to get more of us online or to get more of us to spend more time online on their site. And they do this through some some surreptitious sneaky ways that you probably don't even realize, but there's this whole industry uh, called UI UX optimization, which basically means they're trying to make the user interface or the user experience, that's UI UX, as pleasant as possible for you so that you have a nice pleasant experience online. And if you've been on Facebook for more than a few years, you've probably experienced this several times already when they do a, a site redesign, right? Or Instagram. Instagram is always kind of iterating their features and redesigning their things. Even things like the the logos. The logos will change from time to time, normally to keep up with fashion trends. But you're kidding yourself if you don't think that those logos have been workshopped and be focus grouped and everything to be more appealing, right? Um Uh, I I was looking at a case study of Uber's recent redesign and they have a color that is sort of their flagship color now. It's called safety blue. And the whole idea is that it's supposed to give you this like calm, safe feeling and you want to be comfortable seeing safety blue, Uber's new sort of flagship color. The same thing happens every time a major tech site does a redesign, right? Or think about the recent trend towards dark mode, right? You can have dark mode on Twitter and dark mode on Facebook and dark mode on Facebook Messenger and dark mode on Chrome. And on its face, you might think, oh, this is so nice that the tech companies are helping our computer glares be easier on our eyes at nighttime. No, that's not what they're doing. I mean, yes, that's, I guess, the, like, on the surface, that's the symptom of what they're doing. What they're really trying to do is make it so that you're not turning your computer off at night and you're just instead turning it to dark mode so that it'll be easier on your eyes. Their whole, their whole incentive is to get you to spend more time online. I probably sound like a conspiracy theorist to some degree <laughs> here, um, and maybe I am, but uh, you know, I have a student whose sister is a UI UX researcher and works for some very big firms who I probably shouldn't name, but you would definitely recognize these names, um, doing UI UX optimization, uh, workshopping and doing case studies of little tiny website design changes that can then lead to millions and maybe even billions of dollars in revenue differences year over year for a company. So this is a very real thing. And I think it's a very real problem.
1: And And even, I think, identifying this problem and the reality of this, you're not saying that everyone involved in these tech companies is out to make more money. Some people probably are concerned about your eyesight and concerned about your communication with other people and having a pleasant way to communicate with friends who are international or something like that, and they actually have good motivations, but at its Root, as you're saying, the point that the tech company is concerned about the bottom line.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think the thing to remember here is that, and this is another economist sort of saying, but there's no free lunch, right? So there's no such thing as a free lunch. If you are enjoying Facebook services and you've been able to upload a thousand pictures to Facebook and an hour's worth of video to Facebook and spend an hour on Facebook, commenting on friends, things, all of that stuff takes a lot of server space, right? All that stuff takes a lot of um, back end support for Facebook to do. And it's only free for you because you are giving them your time and you're giving them your eyeballs and your ears to listen to and watch advertisements on Facebook, right? And Facebook knows that. So Facebook has a vested interest in keeping you doing that. Now, I think, you know, on the, it's so, Sal, you're definitely right. I mean, not all tech is bad. Um, I mean, you know that, you know, we were thinking about taking a job with Google, right? Just recently here. And so, I don't, I'm not here to say that all tech companies are evil, but I'm, I'm here to say that the, the standard social media model that we see on LinkedIn and Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, the standard social media model is not set up to help us be more human. That is not to say that Google does nothing good as a company or that Facebook does nothing good as a company or even that the the people who started these companies and many of the people who run them have good aims but I'm just saying that there's a mismatch between at least the stated aims of these companies and the way that they run their social media networks.
1: No, I think that's I think that's perfectly fair. So if we say yes, we agree with all of what you've just laid out, what are we supposed to do about it as a mindful human living person who is concerned about living in a human way, truly human way, what are we supposed to do about that?
0: Well, I would love the opportunity to sit down with, you know, Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, the head of Twitter and, um, you know, all these guys who make a lot of these decisions that affect literally billions of people. And if I were in that, if I had that opportunity, I think I would talk to them about the possibility of moving to a premium model and not making the platform free anymore, because I think that we would see content improve and we'd see time reduced, um, you know, quality overall of content um, skyrocket if people paid money to have this access, you know, every every month or every year or whatever it was. I think that could be a huge big step in the right direction on the sort of supply side of things. On the demand side, that's us, the consumer, the people who use these networks. I think we can we can pare it down to maybe three recommendations for today, just to just to keep it simple. I think the first thing is be a discerning user of social media. And what I mean by that is, um, A, use your best judgment, uh, not someone else's judgment, but your best judgment to, t- to figure out which networks you are going to participate in and how you're going to do that. That means um, thinking about things like incentive structures and what the, company, what the company's interest vis-a-vis you is and how you agree or don't agree with that. Um, I think it also means staying, at least to some degree, up on sort of Um, what those companies are saying about tech and privacy and user data and advertising and all of these things. And all of that I think is just about being a good conscious consumer, right? So in the same way that people should be conscious about where their food comes from or where Where their their clothes clothes come come from, from, right? I think we should be, be yeah, we should be conscious about where our, where our social media is coming from. Right. And, and who is, and even if
1: we're not responsible for the, money that the tech companies are making, we are still we're supplying them the 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 human
0: Right. We're supplying them the activity. eyeballs Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're supplying them the eyeballs and the that makes them money. Exactly. So I think that's the first thing, right? Just be a discerning user of social media. The second thing is intentionally and if necessary, quantitatively, limit your time on social media. So I say intentionally, this could be something like I will not be on social media between the hours of six PM and six A. M. So I'll only be on during the day, basically. Um, I say quantitatively because that could be even more specific for you. And you could say, I'm not going to spend more than 15 minutes on Facebook per day. Um, And And I think
1: to the credit of phones like Apple, they're trying to provide, uh, you know, that's a big tech company. And they have um, added that feature. Screen time, yeah. Yeah, where you can see what your screen time is. And I think for people who want to turn that on, they, they might feel, you know, a little... Conviction over how much time they actually are spending on their
0: phones, right? So. so Google was the first one to do that. Actually, they oh, okay. did that in, cool. at Google I/O in 2017, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that is good as a step in the right direction. I also think that is in part a reaction to consumer sure. backlash against yeah. some of these things, some of these ideas I'm talking about. So even that I think is really self-interested,
1: mixed messages, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. But I think that is true. I mean, if you're if you're on a newer Android or iOS 12, you have the Screen Time feature built in, and you can you can build those things in and have limitations on your uh, on your device. You can also do the thing if you use Chrome online. You have Chrome extensions that are you know that will block certain websites or limit them after a certain amount of time per day. So it's pretty easy to quantit- quantitatively limit your social media use. But I think that's another good idea.
1: And I think by limiting it, you're putting kind of the power back in your own hands. You're not just right. being a wind that's blown around this is a bad analogy but you're not just allowing yourselves to be led along by the advertising of your social media platform and to spend time that you don't want to spend online right you're choosing this is the amount of time i want to spend this is when i want to spend it and and you're, you're making that decision
0: right exactly in the words of kitty perry you won't feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind
1: perfect that's exactly <laughs> what i was going for yes thank you katie perry
0: all right the um the third point is Uh, and this is, I think you have to sort of know, know thyself and whether or not this should apply to you. But I think it's been helpful for me to remove those social media access points from my phone because the phone is something I have with me all the time. The the laptop is not, but because of that, it's sometimes helpful to, you know, I will not have my Twitter app on my phone, right? And then I won't be, won't be tempted or won't find myself absentmindedly just strolling through a Twitter timeline, right? So make your time on social media more intentional by removing the casualness of the circumstances that lead you to it. Um,
1: yeah, the ease with which you access it. Right.
0: So. I mean, I will say, you know, this is, I think, one reason why, though, Instagram has very intentionally moved away from a web interface. Um, you can you can uh, view things on Instagram on your computer, but you can't upload without, without, without at least some sort of um, HTML trickery. You can't upload content to Instagram via your computer. So yeah, Instagram knows this. They know that they have, again, they benefit from them being a mobile-only platform where you... Will always have it on your phone if you want to be on Instagram at all.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, and similarly, on another podcast, I heard um, people talking about, I'm not on Twitter, but uh, how the Twitter interface on your computer is way worse yes. than the one on your phone it and it's clear yeah. that Twitter is meant for your phone. Yeah. They want you not to use for your phone. Computer. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a far, you yeah, know, so that, that UI UX optimization that I was talking about, they really try they're only to doing
1: it on the phone. They, well, they're
0: doing it on the, on both, I think, but they're really focusing on the phone because yeah. they want you on your phone because uh, you know, if you have your, if you'd have it on your phone, you're going to be on it, on it more. And they know that. Uh, and we know that. So those are the three things. So be a discerning user intentionally and quantitatively, if necessary, limit your time and then remove social media, if necessary, from your phone.
1: All right. Well, if you have thoughts about this, if you have, uh, if you want to argue (laughs) the opposite point or another point, we would love to hear your feedback. Let us know if you have set limits on your social media usage or just had similar thoughts along these lines or completely contrary thoughts. We would love to engage with you and share your questions and opinions on our next episode.
0: All right i think that's it sally that's yep. it all right reach out to us you can tell us anything that sally just mentioned you can also reach out to us zach and sally at vernacularpodcast.com or find us on social media if we ever turn our instagram back on <laughs> <laughs> Pod on instagram and twitter and for vernacular podcast i'm zach and i'm sally have a great week